welcome everyone. My name is Gino. Welcome to Fig Podcast. My, I've got a special guest with us. Um, his name is Jared. He is in a rock band and teaches teenagers about sex education in high school. Um, Jared, thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know you and I talked about kind of the coincident of the time the timing of when I called you. Um, what has your experience been when it came to like having conversations with people about pornography? Um, what's been the hardest part about that for you growing up? Um, I feel like the most difficult thing uh, talking about, I'm a very private person in general. Uh, I don't really like being vulnerable with other people. I don't think anybody likes being vulnerable yeah, with other enough. people because you put yourself at risk. Uh, but for me, I'm, I'm fairly introverted anyways. And so then to go that extra step and uh, actually open up, I'm really good at helping people with their problems. Mm -hmm. I'm really bad at talking about my things and it's almost like I have to kind of remove myself from the whole situation. I can talk about it uh, and use personal pronouns, but mentally it's almost like I'm speaking in third person. Yeah, like it, yeah. It's just, uh, it's always been. I've tried addressing that with myself. Yeah, I've like, even sometimes I'll notice to be like, yeah, you know, when you do this, you experience, and I'm like, why am I saying you? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. me. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, a little buffer to to try to keep up that that veil of security. Uh, and even though everybody that I've talked to, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, they know that it's me. And, and I even say like that when when I did this, but I I use phrases like when when stuff happened. And <laughs> I just don't like to be yeah. specific with it because it, it's just it's a weird little mental thing. Uh, to try to you know hold up some sort of you know security for myself uh so that's that's always been a challenge that being said uh it is something that i have spoken about and uh shared with a lot of people uh sometimes even in large group settings uh shared some uh parts of my story and stuff and so uh it's something that i've kind of had to push myself out there to be able to do but every single time is uh, outside of my comfort zone, for sure. <laughs> Interesting. Do you find like, so when you talk about it, is there like a cookie cutter version of it? Or do you try to change it up every time? Uh, no. Uh, every time that I've talked to people about it, uh, it's always been... Uh, either like in a personal setting for their benefit, like they're dealing with uh, pornography addiction or sexual addiction or stuff like that. Uh, and so it, it's for their benefit. And I try to use the parts of my story that relate best to what they're going through. Uh, when I've spoken about it in large group settings, it's only been a handful of times. And uh, when I did, it was, it was kind of like the whole thing, like from start to finish all the way through to, you know, basically where I was at that point, like, right. and this is where I am today and kind of 
moving on from there. So, uh, so yeah, there's never been a format for it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So what has, with it being that difficult, what's been the hardest? Like, do you remember your first person that you ever told? And I guess, what was that like? Man. Um, I think the first person that I ever like spoke to about it, uh, was, it would have been maybe when I was, uh, 15 or 16 so this is about 13 years ago okay and what what age were you first exposed to to porn (laughs) so everything for me started when i was uh gosh would have been like 12 11 or 12 uh and it was the weirdest thing because you know, when I was a kid, I, I remember like there were very strict rules in my house uh, as far as what we could watch and uh, what we could listen to. Uh, we grew up in a pretty conservative, uh, moralistic type home. And so uh, there were even Disney movies that we weren't allowed to watch. Uh, but uh, I, I remember there would be certain movies that we could watch, but we had to close our eyes on a certain part of the movie. Uh, And so when that would happen, it was always something where it was like, I would close my eyes, but I didn't understand what I was missing. I didn't, I didn't know what, why it was that I couldn't look. And Mm -hmm. so I'd do like the whole like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and then I was like, I, I never saw enough to like really get what I was seeing. It was just like, a flash of something and I was like whatever but it was kind of this mystique to it it it, it kind of put it in this category of especially being that the adults in the room could watch it right so it was like me being a kid I I'm being held back from something but the more mature people the older people that they can like it's not gonna hurt them and so it kind of created that mystique towards it and so I remember the first moves that I made towards what eventually became a porn addiction was uh, just wanting to watch those clips in the movies. And this is long before you could look stuff like that up. So it was like, you know, VHS tapes back in the day and like trying to fast forward and rewind like late at night or whatever. When, right. when I was the only person at home trying to find this scene. In a yeah. Movie. So it really wasn't. It wasn't uh, efficient at all, uh, but it, it was something that I, I just wanted. Like I had that urge, that desire. Yeah. Something drew me to it. So, and, so did you know? Like I remember w- that there was something in this movie that I was told not to watch. So I'm going to try that movie. Or like I guess what made you know which movies to pick? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely ones that we had at our house that were ones that that I had watched before and had to close my eyes and then we'll go back like one specifically i remember uh was uh independence day the the first independence day movie with will smith in it uh there's a a scene it's not even like a a nude scene or a sex scene but she's like an exotic dancer his fiance the girl that he wanted to propose to she's an exotic dancer and so she's like in a bikini dancing around or something 
But I remember that was one of the first ones that I went back to. I, I mean, that movie came out when I was probably like eight or nine. Uh, and I went back to it when I was maybe like 12 or so, 11 or 12. Crazy. Because I was like, there was that one thing. That it's I, <laughs> right. I it's like that you can eat I, from every tree, just not this one. And you're like, exactly. you'll never forget the tree ever. It, it always, yeah, that was something that I, I went back to later because I was like, I wanted to see that. And then I was like, like well, I mean, she, she's kind of like wearing a swimsuit almost. It's like, I, I don't see what the big deal is. So it, it kind of, it, it, it was a very subtle, very dangerous entry point because it, it, set, it made it seem like it was so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, if I, if I look at this thing, then it's just going to, like, I'm in so much trouble. And then a few years later, when I finally was able to go back and watch this little clip, I was like, I feel like I've seen a whole lot worse than this at the pool. Yeah. So what's the big deal so it kind of in my mind at the time was like it was all just this overreaction and mm-hmm. nothing really like it, it wasn't that big a deal but the scary part was it went very quickly from from that type of stuff to like that that kind of made me wonder like what more was out there but again there this is before the internet and so i mean before normal people had the internet and so uh it wasn't like I could just go look something up at that point. Yeah. And, and where I first saw like a porn, like I'm this old, that it was a pornographic magazine. Uh, so it amazes me that there's, st- they still exist. I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Save the trees guys. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was a magazine and I found it one weekend when I was at my great grandma's house. Was, was it, it your great grandma's? I seriously doubt that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, but the thing is, it was from the year that I was born. So at this point, it was like 14, 15 years old. Oh, wow. Or maybe it was like 13 years old, but it was from 1987. So it was this old pornographic magazine, but it was this hardcore magazine. It wasn't like Playboy. It was like the full on like the most that you could have gotten in the eighties in a magazine. That's what it was. And there, I'm guessing like it was hidden back behind this thing that had never been moved in my grandma's house. She lived in the same house for like 50 years or something. And so, uh, all my great aunts and uncles all grew up in that house. And then, uh, a bunch of their kids all went out to that house. So it's like somebody along the line had stashed it there. And I found it and it was like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like I didn't even know this was legal. It, it was just, you know, it was crazy. Uh, and so and you, I, I remember, is that after the independence day situation? Probably, yeah, it was, it was actually probably shortly after, probably within a year or two after okay. the ended, independence day thing when that stuff. So it was like, it was Independence Day. It was, uh, you know, an underwear catalog that would come in the mail, like from Victoria's Secret or something, crap mm-hmm. like that, to full-on hardcore pornographic magazine. It, it went. It was that type of a jump, and uh, and so I was like, 
I, I just had no idea what to do with it. Like, I mean, it was more than I thought existed. And so uh, even then, at that point, it was like, I know this is wrong, but I, did, I don't know what it is about it. Like, it, it felt wrong. It felt dirty. I knew that I had to hide it. I knew that it, it wasn't something I could just leave lying around or whatever. It was like, this is a big deal. And so right away, it was like from the point that it, it, it basically came into my life, uh, it automatically carried that shame with it. Uh, do you think it, that it, has something to do with the fact that you were in church or do you think that that's inherent? Uh, I would say from, from personal experience as well as a lot of the people that I've talked to like in my job now and people that I've helped, uh, majority of them are not church people, did not grow up in that type of an environment. And that it still carries that that stigma to it. There's still something about it that is mm -hmm. shameful. And I think there's it's been an interesting shift culturally in the last five to ten years, I would say, uh, where it seems like there's been a pretty aggressive push to normalize pornography use right. uh, for guys, right. especially guys, but for girls as well, but uh, particularly with teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, like, do you see the, not the most recent Spider-Man, but the one exactly. before that? He was like, what are you doing? And he's like, uh, looking at porn. And it's yeah. funny, but you're just like, the fact that that's, I'm laughing at that. And the fact that someone wrote that line is disturbing. In um, what it what amounts to a children's movie. Right. I mean, this is a comic book character. Right. Spider-Man is literally like the most popular character with kids. Right. And has been for probably decades. So, yeah, they knew exactly who's sitting in the room here and who who's right. going to be hearing this. And it sucks because I'm a huge nerd. You know that. But. I am a huge nerd, and so I, I used to go to the, the comic book movies and stuff, and even Lord of the Rings and all that. Like, I would go midnight openings. And I wish they still had those. It was I the best. They, it's a, I mean, we would dress up and everything. It was, right. like, huge. I'm a huge nerd. And so I love taking my kids to those types of movies now. Uh, and my my oldest son is 10. And Jeez. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's terrifying. Is 10, 7, uh, 4, and then my daughter is 2. Okay. And so I love to be able to take them to movies. And they love going to those superhero movies right. and stuff. And now I can't just take them to these movies. I can't even take them to kids' movies. I mean, what they put in the Spider-Man movie was it was a line so the worst thing that would come of that is my 10 year old would be like what's porn and that's a crappy conversation right. to have to have from taking my son to a superhero movie right that just sucks but what's worse than that is all of the sexual garbage that they put in actual cartoons and like pg movies and stuff on cartoons Cartoon Network and Disney Channel and all like not stuff that's supposed to be for like the middle audience yeah. like you know early teens to late teens that group it's like this is a kids show this is for young children to be watching and they put some seriously just nasty stuff in there 
stuff that makes adults blush. Yeah. And well, I think that's the point. Where it's just like, I'm going to take my children to a movie, and they're like, let's throw in some jokes for the adults that are there. And yeah, it's it's and I, gross. And I've heard that. I've heard that argument, and I really don't buy it because when when I was growing up watching Nickelodeon or whatever. 95% of the time when I was watching those types of shows, my mom was not in the room with me. And when, okay. Okay, when, I see what uh, you're saying. When I go to the schools and I talk to the students about this, I'm like, are your parents even in the room with you? And they're like, no. They're, they usually will put, at that age, will let the kids watch a movie, watch a show, so that I can go get some crap done. Right. So that I can get some work done around the house. My free babysitter. <laughs> exactly. It's like, and that's how a lot of people have kind of utilized children's programming in their yeah. home is give the kids something to occupy them for a little bit so I can do some other stuff. And the thing is, these companies know that. They spend millions and billions of dollars, every millions of dollars every year uh, just doing market research. Which is why if you watch Cartoon Network, when I was growing up, it was 30-minute episodes. Now it's three eight-minute segments. It's not even a full story for 30 minutes anymore because they know exactly how long they can keep a kid's attention. They don't even change the shows like on the half hour on the hour anymore because they, they stagger them throughout. And it'll start at like 6.08 and then go to like 6.00. 15 or something like that, like just weird segments, but they know exactly how this thing works. Mm -hmm. And so they know that it's the kids watching this stuff. And then like on top of that, if you, if you paid attention to all of the, the me too stuff that came out over the last few years and all of these, yeah, <laughs> all of these, directors and producers that have been exposed as pedophiles and child molesters yeah uh it, it takes a whole lot of grace to be willing to say that they put those things in there for anyone except for kids with any other intention than to sexualize children yeah yeah and it's a crappy place that we're kind of in but it seems like it's just getting worse like this stuff isn't actually getting better yeah i mean so yeah there's been some arguments that um i can't remember who it was i think it was a clip that i saw on from ben shapiro and it was about this kid who was eight years old and he was dressed up um it was a young boy and he was dressed up in um drag clothing and he went to a bar and, yeah, and danced and, they and danced and they gave him tips and they they were like oh look at he's he's living his truth he's it's what bravery of the parents and it's like there's no way you cannot translate that as sexual paying someone for sex the kid is literally removing articles of clothing on a strip stage getting tips how for is that adult men Right. How yeah. is there any way that you can translate that as innocence and living truth? It's it, it's like the hard part is like on on our end, like my end where I'm against that. I am so enraged by that that I don't know how to sometimes like I don't know if I could actually have a conversation with someone who is actually being serious saying that that was an innocent act because it yeah. seems so obvious 
Um, and the fact that it seems like people are almost so willing to turn a blind eye because it fits the agenda that they're looking for, then it's just like, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with sexualizing children. It has everything to do with um, giving freedom to the individual. It's like, oh, that's so beautiful. I, I'm almost crying. You should say that again. You know, it's it's disgusting. Um, so, no, I, I, I don't doubt that there's definitely people who like the – the subconscious men messaging, but sometimes, I don't know, I try to also <laughs> remember that there are, there's got to be some people who aren't full of malice and they're just, maybe some of them wrote a joke because they thought that they're, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm giving them the benefit well, I, of the I, doubt. I say, but. Yeah, I could agree that, I mean, it's, it's something, it's not just this current generation that's experiencing it. It's stuff that's been going on since I was a kid. Like, mm -hmm. I, I remember jokes that were in cartoons and stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah. going all over to like Ed, Ed and Eddie and stuff yeah. like that. So There's some things new. in there that, yeah. Yeah. You watch it again as an adult and you're like, geez, like, what? <laughs> Seriously. How did, how did the adults let me watch this? But, right. Uh, but because it's like we've grown up in that, that I'm sure there are a lot of people that just totally do think that that is appropriate and that's normal or that is funny. Uh, not that they are intentionally trying to harm children right. always, but because they think that this is just normal behavior or this is, you know, that's what gets cartoons on show or on TV. Uh, I think, yeah, there probably are people that aren't intentionally harming kids. They're just unintentionally harming kids. And then I think that there are probably a lot more that are intentionally doing it uh, because they want to sexualize children or uh, people that are doing it so that they can profit off of people that want to sexualize children. Uh, Do you, so, um, sorry, I just, I just lost my train of thought. Um, do you have, okay. So when it comes to, um, I, I literally just drew a blank. Go ahead. Do you remember what you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just talking about the uh, how there there are like these different categories of people that are involved uh, from people that are intentionally doing these things, unintentionally doing it, but still being harmful, and then people that are kind of just profiting. They're in it for money. Mm -hmm. They know what they're doing is harmful. They're not trying to get weird like sexual stuff out of it but they're just trying to make money. Uh, and I think there's just a combination of a lot of those things. Uh, and not just in the entertainment industry, but I mean, as we saw last year uh, with the whole Jeffrey Epstein scandal and all of that crap, uh, this goes all the way up, man. Yeah. It's, I do uh, find it, every facet. I do find it very, it's, it's not even that like it's it, that it's okay. Like the, the, when I, when I make the statement that obviously there's sexual domination in multi-billion dollar corporations, like it's not saying it's okay, but obviously that that's, that's happening. Like, and yeah. even just when you think of like the, it's like, have you ever watched the morning show, that Apple TV show? Um, uh, no, I I've seen clips from it, but I haven't watched it. It's fine. I have some gripes. I have some gripes with it just because of how they paint the the guy who was me too'd. But yeah. um, 
the the everyone in that there was a line in there that was just like well everyone knew it and then it's just like well if everyone knew it why didn't anyone say it? and it's just like it's just it's just a thing like for some reason there's a proclivity to turn a, a blind eye to things that um are considered the status quo and you play the game and um so it, i find it very difficult to find any glory in not that it's bad that people are getting turned in like that's that's great all more power to them but it's like when hollywood is on the oscar like when the oscars are playing and then like i remember the uh three board three billboards outside ebbing missouri great movie i liked the movie but when the lady won the oscar for it she set the male oscar down on the floor and then she said oh look see that's that's i'm the woman and i'm this tall and that's the man he's this small look see i'm a woman and it's like you did it you conquered (laughs) sexuality in hollywood by doing that didn't you and it's just it's really hard to believe people who like are everyone in hollywood's like oh we're here to protect you and your sexuality we're not for that we're not for all those evil people it's like well who were the evil people was it just was it really only harvey weinstein and everyone else was victim it doesn't work that way people have to play the game for the game to work and so it's really weird when i hear everyone just pandering to it like oh i'm so proud of women getting their rights it's like shut up you were probably playing the game too like and maybe not the case you know there are obviously some innocent people but it's just so weird seeing the poisonous filth being cleaned out by the poisonous filth it's not like someone externally (laughs) coming in it's like hollywood celebrating its virtue by cleaning out the mess that it created. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, and then, and then what you're left with is pure flicks. <laughs> and no. <laughs> they, they, they managed to produce one really good show, but. Do you guys have Chosen, it? The Chosen is excellent, and you can watch it for free, so that's cool. Oh, but, great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean one of all the ones that they've done yeah yeah <laughs> i think that, that i i you know i when i was get thinking about doing screenwriting i everyone in church was constantly like hey you should you know i know i know this uh you know there's, there's this studio down there they're the ones who they're the ones who wrote facing the giants and it's just like please don't terrible. tell me please don't make me work for them yeah <laughs> i don't want to work for them uh, so like you know they and it's i i get it they're on the same team as you and so you want to root for them but i think that it's very hard very very hard to write good christian scripts just because the moment you say god it's like okay i'm trying to think of a movie that could okay do you know the term deus ex machina i do Okay, so like when movies do that, when the thing shows up out of nowhere to save the day that had no introduction to the plot, like Gandalf almost do sex machinas at the top of <laughs> on the two towers, but you knew he was off to somewhere and there was an army that was introduced in the story, so it's it's not quite there yet. But yeah. when um like do you remember Fantastic Four too? 
the good one, right? <laughs> it was the great one when he was just like, wait, I know how we can defeat him. We can just combine all of our powers and then it's just going to work. And they're like, oh, and you, your train of logic is like, well, why? It's just like, well, because the script says so, duh. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, well, what powers does he have? Well, it's whatever powers he needs to do to solve the problem. It's like, oh, okay. I guess that makes sense when you put it that way. <laughs> and so yeah. he fights the bad guy and he wins because obviously fire with stretchy arms is more powerful than silver bald-headed surfboard so i mean yeah that makes Cloud sense Galactus Cla oh yeah yeah it, 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 there's no way that a, that a planet eating monster could beat stretchy fire hands it so i'm with you like it was a brilliantly written script that's how it feels when people introduce god into the movies because it's like okay which rules are you going to break for the sake of the script which almost lie are you going to tell me that when i <laughs> when i pray my life is going to turn out fine and that's the hard part about writing a Christian script also because you like so facing the giants like it it, it just over promises thing all things that allegedly and okay and I'm more on the skeptical side and so I get it some people have witnessed more things than me um, but allegedly you know God could urge someone to buy you a truck and people have been healed of being um, not able to have babies and there are teams that turn their program around and God you know he commands the winds but it's just like okay you get a new truck the school has a revival you win the championship on your first year but to win the championship God guides the wind so you can get the final field goal and your wife can have babies and you win multiple championships and she has multiple babies it's like so all you got, what, you want to sign up? Sign up here. Become a Christian. It's like, like how <laughs> can someone enjoy that? plot of the movie? I've never watched it. You don't remember? It. Oh, you've never watched it? Yeah. I, that, I, all of those I things happened. The guy. those movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want me to see your picture? Oh. Oh, great. Is that for his birthday? That's great, bud. Thank you. Can you shut the door? How old is he? Oh uh, well, are, are you gonna leave? I'm on the I'm on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> he's three, or no, he's four. Okay. He just turned four. <laughs> he's an old man. All right, if you're gonna stay in here, you gotta be quiet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the plot of facing the giants, though. The guy has a broken down truck, and he gets asked to start a football, be the new coach for the football team. And in that same year, they win the championship. Someone buys him a new truck and his wife who couldn't have babies can have babies. And on the final play of the game, they are down by two points and they need to kick a field goal at like 50 yards. And then they're like, look, and the flag goes from blowing this way to blowing this way. And then he's like, kick. And he does the kick and it's like, oh my gosh. And the school has a um, campus crusade, so everyone becomes a Christian. It's just like, it's so bad because it's like, okay, maybe you could convince me that one of those things could happen, but all of those things happened. Um, and even still, I don't know, even if you made one of those things happen, I would immediately become skeptical. But it's really difficult to introduce Christian scripts just because of that, like, it just separates from reality from most people. Like, okay, did you see War Room? Nope. Okay. Well, you'd not miss. 
You didn't. You're not missing out. There's a. I'm sure I'm going to be upsetting a lot of Christians that are watching this. If anyone watches this, <laughs> forgive me. But what happens is there's a there's a guy. So there's an, a grandma, and she's trying to teach this woman the power of prayer and going into the closet um, and praying. And so then the the woman is having a failing marriage, and she's like, "All you got to do is go to war." On top of the line being cliche, so this woman starts to try and listen to this older woman. So they go sh- grocery shopping together, and they're walking through the parking lot garage. And a guy comes up to them with a gun, and the old woman says, put that gun down in the name of Jesus. And he does. <laughs> and so they're fine. And you're just like, maybe someone would put the gun down because the woman's clearly insane. <laughs> like, you know, like, okay, I don't even know if I want to try and threaten this woman because she's clearly not scared of death. So I'm just going to leave her alone. Maybe that could happen. But it's, um, I've really had a hard time. My favorite movies that are, um, are the ones with like undertones, um, that are, I think the most, my favorite, most blatant Christian movie, I guess you could say is the passion of the Christ, but that <laughs> wasn't a true story. Um, would be the fireproof. <laughs> oh. I really, I, the, I liked fireproof. I think that it, cause it, it actually, it dealt with pornography, but it was like, there was no uncanny, like golden yeah. thing that came to fix it. It was just like, this guy has an addiction with porn. It's destroying his marriage. And the whole story was about how he needed to do everything he could to get rid of it. It's just like, well, that's a story I can actually believe because no one's coming to fix the day. It's, it's assuming that I have the responsibility to clean up my mess and nothing's going to change until I do something like that. And that's, that's a story that people can comprehend. So I don't know. It's really hard with this. Um, so it's hard enough to write a good script and then you ask me to go work for them. I, I can't do it, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay. So when it comes to films and movies, um, have you like, what is your, standard of like you can and you can't watch do you are you just willing to fast forward um like let's just say not even with your kids like just for you personally are you willing to fast forward or do you avoid it in general how do you handle it i i very rarely will go on opening nights anymore which stinks because i was huge on that and there are a few that I, i would make exceptions for that i knew would not be throwing that kind of stuff in there like uh I went to go see most of the Marvel movies that came out opening night or opening weekend. Uh, I knew in Endgame there's not going to be some weird, you know, sexual scene in there because they're not that bad at writing. So yeah. <laughs> we got to throw this. That's not going to happen on that. Yeah, uh, They know better than that. Uh, but that's not always the case. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I was really disappointed for... Uh, I was really disappointed because I took my kids to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And there's no sex scene in the movie, but there are tons of sexual jokes and sexual references throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I took my kids and my grandma to that movie. And so it was I like, took my grandma to watch Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah. And but I did I did that knowing what Deadpool yeah. was, so that was the joke. <laughs> so. See, that, that's one where it's like, I knew that Ryan Reynolds was going, sorry, baby, <laughs> was going to be the, the perfect cast. When they had him in the Wolverine, uh, I was like, oh, man, or it was just Wolverine. X-Men yeah. Origins Wolverine. It was terrible. But when they had him in there 
as Deadpool, like in that first little segment, I was like, oh, that is such a good cast. That is perfect. And then they destroyed the character and the movie. But <laughs> there was <laughs> nothing good about that back, movie. <laughs> I, I saw the first uh, the first clip that they the made, leaked footage like, before it got greenlit. Yeah. Uh, the one that they made with Ryan Reynolds for it. And I was like, oh, that looks so excellent. I know there's no way I can watch that movie. Uh, I did eventually wait and, and watch it when it was, came out on TV. Atlas, you're going to have to go out of the room, bud. Can you you want to stay or do you want to go play? You decide. Okay. So, <laughs> you can cut that part out. No, uh, yeah. Uh, I knew that that was going to be like really well done. I really wanted to watch the movie, but it, it wasn't one that I could go see in theaters. Uh, so there are movies like that where it's like, I'll wait and watch it when it comes and plays on TV because uh, they'll, they'll cut out the nudity. Uh, and in cases like that, I'll go online and I have a few websites that I use. Most of the time, though, I'll use Atlas. Just stay out. <laughs> okay. I will hand it to you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a couple websites that I go to. Um, the main one I go to is IMDb, right. uh, and they have a parent's guide on there. Yeah. And those are ones that people will go and, and leave stuff in there, but it has specifically, like, I don't check for swearing and stuff. Uh, I don't check for violence, uh, but I do check for sexuality and nudity. And so when it when it has ones on there where it says like there's a sex scene or there's nudity or whatever, it's like dang it, and I I miss it. And now it I'm at a point in life where I don't have as much time to go to the movies as I used to when I was younger, uh, and I also don't have as much extra money like I did when I was uh, single or newly married and no kids. So yeah. now when it costs $60 to take my family to movies, it does make it a little bit easier to Say no. yeah. be judicious there. But uh, but yeah, I, I check stuff before I go see it now, uh, just as a precaution. One, uh, I check things for my kids because I don't want them to be exposed to stuff. Uh, I don't want them to have to sit in a theater and close their eyes and wonder what they're missing. Uh, right. So I, I don't want to put them in that situation. And I also check things for myself uh, because I don't want to. It, it's such a s slippery slope. Um, like when I was complete, like just completely hooked on porn, I could watch a like a nude scene or a sex scene. I wouldn't watch nude scenes, but like if a sex scene came on in a PG-13 movie, that I that could come up, and it, it would not drive me to want to go look at porn. Because at that point, it was like, this is... It's, it's not like porn. Dry it's like dry bread. Yeah. Not, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. do anything for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not a good place to be. Right. But that's how, how addicted I was. Like, it, it wasn't even yeah. registering. Uh, so now that I've, I've been removed for some years, uh, 
I have to be very intentional and very careful because uh, it there was a period of time about six months afterwards uh, where I, I told my wife that I was addicted to porn and I had talked to a ton of people, talked to pastors, talked to uh, people that uh, were like leaders and stuff and uh, youth leaders and I got very just useless advice most of the time. Uh, a pair, a prayer and a pat on the back and that was about it. Uh, and then other times it was, yep, this is just something that you're gonna struggle with for your entire life. And that sucked. That was, I mean, that's terrible news for somebody that is in the middle of an addiction that uh, it's never going to get better. It's actually hopeless. And sometimes you will have a good day and then, then you're going to have a lot of bad days. Like that's just really yeah. bad to tell anybody. That's hopelessness. Yeah. Uh, and so I was there for a while. And it wasn't that I wasn't, wasn't looking for somebody to help me or to find a way out of it. I was the entire time actively trying to find some way to break this addiction. Uh, but by this time, uh, smartphones and internet and all that stuff, all that was available. And so now you've just got this thing screaming at you from your pocket right. and your mind all day long. It's like, yeah. and you, yeah. at work, I'm tired, I'm hungry, like whatever that thing is. And it's just, I want the release. Yeah. And, I've had uh, times where I went out, like I was really wanting to look at porn and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out of the house. I have the AMC A-list pass. Um, so I can see three movies a, a week. Um, and so it's just like, it's great. Um, not now, but it's yeah. great when the theaters are open. Um, just cause it's like, okay, I'm just going to go up and I'm going to go see a movie. Okay. In that movie, it wasn't a movie that had sexual content. I was trying to be good. I was trying to be a good boy and leave the house. And then in that movie, there's a trailer for a movie that's rated R and it's like, and it shows the exact thing, like it's like the of all the trailers that could have played in this movie, this is the one. Like yeah. it just it it feels like a setup, like genuinely. And I mean, obviously, you can't go out. You don't have to look too hard to find something yeah. like that. But it's just annoying when, like, even when in situations like that, like in that moment, I was trying to do what was right, and I still found myself trapped. And that trailer haunted me forever yeah. until the movie came out and then i messed up on the movie because it's like it just stuck with me forever because yeah. like that moment was so significant for me and so it's like it's very difficult in this day and age that not only going to the movies not only the fact that you have a smartphone um so when you how how long was your process of weaning off like when you were actually actively trying uh so the first time I saw that pornographic magazine, I, like I said, I think I was around 13 or 14. And uh, I would say within a couple of weeks, not even that long, I was already trying to like be rid of it. Because I, like I said, I knew it was wrong when I got it. When I saw it for the first time, I, it immediately carried that shame with it. And so there was never a point for me uh, once I had been exposed to pornography that I was like, oh, this is no big deal. I carried that the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much from that point forward, it was this struggle. 
Uh, it was just this constant pressure of like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then I'd fall back into it. And so I, I it would go from like, I, I threw away the magazine and, you know, destroyed it. I'm pretty sure like I tore it up so I couldn't go back and dig it out of the trash. Uh, and then were you pissed at yourself after you did that? Like 10, <laughs> 10 minutes later, uh, <laughs> I have had that happen. No, but there, I... <laughs> there, was, there was definitely like times when I would be mad after that, where it was like, man, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't right. I wish I yeah. Could go back I'll have something it. like downloaded on my phone cause I don't have internet access. And so it's just like, I kept it. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get out of this. And then I delete it. And then I go to my recently deleted and I delete that. And then like, 30 seconds later just like what the frick did i just do what did i do <laughs> yeah, uh, and there was yeah there i mean it it advanced because like i said it, it went i grew up as technology was shifting and so it was probably around i got my first phone when i was 18 i and i uh didn't have internet on it for like the first year because that wasn't a thing it used to be really slow and terrible and completely useless uh, but you could have internet on your phone. It was stupid. Uh, but yeah. then I think about two years or a year into that. Uh, no, I was 17 when I got my phone. So then a year into that, when I was 18, uh, they gave us free limited internet on our phone. And the first thing that I remember looking up was like looking up porn pictures on Google. And, I, and so it was, it's amazing like, that that's the first thing like that pops in your mind. It's almost like you can't help it. Yeah, like, there was, I mean, there I was, was really nothing else. That, no, no, that there's, there's the email. Phone. There's no, yeah, you're right. There's nothing else on the internet. That's there, useful there on a flip useful. phone. <laughs> At that point, no, we couldn't even, we really couldn't even like go through our emails because it was this tiny little screen to read an email. You're yeah. scrolling. And, and, the, scrolling. and the quality of those screens. Yeah. So it's like, there's literally nothing there's no point in these phones having internet, uh, but it could for five minutes upload one or download one picture as it's coming in like one line at a time. <laughs> like, oh. so, so funny. I mean, oh man. Yeah. But as like things change so fast, it went from that to very quickly uh, smart devices right. that could pull up stuff in high definition. And then you have high speed internet and then you have, uh like full video and all this yeah. stuff like yeah first the phones even with the internet were really limited but now everything you can access everything on the phone if anything more things are developed for phones than they are for computers because yeah so yeah we're just i mean i grew up in the middle of this whole like tornado of things that's kind of when i was like coming of age and so it was i would break this thing whether it was a vhs tape of a movie with like a naked sex scene, or it was a magazine that I tore up or something like that. Then all of a sudden there's a new technological thing that I would get and the brand new access to porn. Yeah. And so it, it, it was just this constant battle of like, yeah. And that's, that's probably been our biggest challenge. Like when I actually, it's been a lot of waves of trying to to get off like i um even outside of like so i've kind of had a really difficult time with with my spiritual 
walk. But one of the things with that was before I started dating, there was a section where a segment where I was like, I'm not happy with the fact that this is there, but like, why, why would I stop? Like, I remember I was having a conversation with David Atwell one day at his house and I was just like, you, honestly, you just full named him. I, mean, I did full name him <laughs> at David J.R. Atwell on Instagram <laughs> um, where he I was like, why would I stop? Like what 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 advantage would it have for me other than the fact that you say that it's wrong? And yeah. like what there is no purpose for me to do it. it it's it's fun. Um it's it, why would I not? And I, I was at that point and I don't know if I could say that I genuinely believe that I wasn't happy in my life, but I didn't know. I don't know how much of that was caused because of porn versus everything else that was, I was dealing with, but, um, I had reached that point. And so then every time I got ready to date someone, there was always the aspiration of like, Oh, I, I can't look at porn while I'm in a relationship. Like that's, that's just mean. Um, so, you know, I, the, the, the call to being a better version of you would always come. Um, and so then when I started dating Nia Chan, that same thing happened, but it wasn't quite, I actually had started trying to get rid of my porn addiction a couple of months before I started dating Nia Chan. So that actually felt pretty nice because it felt like it wasn't something hypocritical. Like it was like, Oh, I made this decision two months ago. It's kind of nice that now I'm talking to her. So that's, that worked out. But, um, as I've actually tried to get rid of this thing, um, the hardest thing has been, um, apart from the arguments and the humiliation of saying you've screwed up again, she's known from the beginning. Um, but, um, it's the amount of, first of all, cleverness you can, I, I personally get with technology like, okay, so I started with, um, what do we do? I think it was accountable to you. And we started with that app and that was just dumb, easy to get around. I just delete the app and then, um, I would reinstall the app. And so then we started to, and then on top of that, so what we did at first with accountable to you was we shut off Safari so that I couldn't, um, do that. But then it was like, okay, well I'll just download Chrome. And then I downloaded Chrome. And so then I had to shut off my, my app store. And then I figured out a way to get into micro browsers on other apps, you know, like you click on settings or something. And so then I had to block deleting apps because what I was doing was when I, when we switched to covenant eyes, it could monitor in the background. So then I would delete covenant eyes. So it wouldn't monitor the, the micro browser. And so like, I just get like, there's con, it's just like, okay, I get around this. Okay. I get around this. I get around this. And so then like, we had to put a password on the Apple TV. We had to put a password on my computer. Now it got to the point where, so right now the level of restriction that I have had to get to for the sake of my safety is my wife has the admin password on my computer. So I can't delete apps and on it. So I can't even install apps on my computer. And that drives me nuts. Cause there's times where you just need to install something on your computer. Same thing on my, uh, my iPhone or uh, my iPad now. So like I have, um, it's reached the point with the, the iPhone was, um, no app store, no deleting apps. She has the restrictions passcode. Um, there was, I kept Safari because it had the background monitoring, but like, it was just like, it's so restricted that it's like literally you're a child and it, it's, 
literally that's all I am. Like in the, in that that section of me has the maturity of a three year old, um, and that is something that needs to be worked at because that until that three year old starts to learn to delay gratification and to utilize that sex drive for something useful, then it's just going to be an impulsive, hateful little child. And so I've like, and it's been a really long three, four year old process, three or four year long process. And so that's, it's ridiculous. And it's humiliating because on top of all of those things of saying like getting control taken away, it's also like, you got to talk to your wife again. And yeah. God, man, she gets pissed when she finds out that you find you found another way around it. Because she's like, I thought we figured it out. It's like, I thought we did too, but I found another way. And so it's like, how do you keep giving hope to the fact that, well, when we shut this off, it should come. Like, like, and there's so much grace that I've had to ask for her, not because of the acceptance of the failure, but of the fact that I'm willing to let her know that I found another loophole and that I'm willing to stop that loophole. Like, and that's, that's been the game um, of like, you know, I now know everything that doesn't work. Maybe not everything, but I know a lot of things that don't work. So yeah, it's it's humiliating and it's hard. Yeah, those uh, those what are called accountability apps and stuff like that. I, I was in the same boat. It, it's super easy to bypass and to find other yeah. ways of doing things. Um, for me, they they were not beneficial at all. Uh, they yeah. didn't help. They didn't even like. It, it wasn't even like a, a scare tactic of like, oh, somebody's going to find out. I was like, no, they're not because I can do this. Turn it off. Nobody's ever going to know. It doesn't matter. Those apps just never really helped me at all. Uh, but what what broke everything for me, uh, I was, man, I was at the end of my rope because I, I, I talked to everybody that I thought would be able to help me uh, and nobody could help me. And I remember what's really funny is uh, I went to a Promise Keepers. This is, again, this is dating me. But I was a kid. I was young. I know what Promise Keepers is. So I was actually, I went on a trip to, I think it was Minnesota, to Promise Keepers. And your dad was with me. (laughs) It was like a whole group of guys. Uh, And uh, we took a bus from church and went out there and stuff and i think that was the first time that your dad ever thought that i wasn't uh like a a bad egg (laughs) but uh but yeah all those tattoos and the gauge deerings man (laughs) this is before before the tattoos so (laughs) i I was i was pretty young i was like 14 15 somewhere around there you had like Um, long hair and you wore a top hat didn't you not a top hat you look like slash didn't you try to look like slash (laughs) no it wasn't slash i actually really liked uh tony alva he's a skater okay uh, from lords of dogtown (laughs) i totally know what you're referencing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a different time but uh yeah uh, most people now would even ask what i mean skating is so google it Hmm. what Uh, is a skateboard (laughs) is that like a scooter no Uh, but (laughs) the coffee house (laughs) yeah (laughs) no we we went to promise keepers and at that time i was trying to break it i was trying to end this addiction and i was like 14 or something and i remember one of the things that every single speaker said they're like 
you know, there's a lot of great things that are going on this weekend, a lot of healing that's going on for these men, chains that are broken. Don't go home and tell your wife about it. I was like, almost every single guy that spoke, because they were all talking about either uh, full-on adultery or looking at porn, was like, everybody brought those things up. Be a man, stop looking at porn, that kind of junk. But everybody said, like, they would do the altar call at the end and pray for people and crying and all this kind of crap. And they'd be like, you're going to be tempted when you go home to tell your wife and to just open up everything. But she's not going to be able to handle that. And it's going to do more harm than good. And so don't go home and tell your wife. That's the devil. <laughs> I was like, I was 14. Obviously, I'm not married. I don't have a wife to go home and talk to about this stuff. Uh, so it didn't pertain to me. But I remembered that. And that continued through every men's conference that I went to. Everything that I read or looked online, all of them said the same thing. Like, don't talk to your wife about it because it's going to destroy her. And so that was like the most foreign thought. By the time that I'm married, and at this point, we, had, we were married for almost five years. Uh, it was April of 2015. And I was like, God... I'm so done with this crap. I don't want this anymore. And I've tried everything. You know, I've tried to get help. I've tried to overcome this and just do it on my own or get people to hold me accountable and nothing is working. And I felt like, not in an audible way, but in like, I know this is God speaking to me, but it was like, you got to tell Laura. And I was like, that's the devil. That's the devil. <laughs> Yeah, going to get me, Satan. So <laughs> I was like, no, there's no way. But it was just this thing. Like every every time I would pray about this, it was like, you need to tell Laura. You need to tell Laura. And I was like, God, you don't know what you're asking me to do. Stupid thing to think. But that's that's what I was praying. Like, God, you don't know what you're saying. Like, that's not what you do. You don't do that. And he's like, you got to tell your wife. If you want to be free, you got to tell your wife. And I was like, I really got to know this is you. Uh, so I need, I need a sign. I need something like something to just confirm that this is really you. Cause if I do this and it's not you, it will ruin not just my life. It will ruin her life. It will ruin our marriage, our kids. Like at that point we had two kids and I was like, if this isn't you, then everything is ruined here. So uh, it's gotta, I have to know it's you. And after I prayed that, a couple days later, my wife had a dream. And it, she always had weird dreams, not sexual dreams, but just like weird. Like she would always have random dreams. And first thing in the morning, she would wake up and tell me what weird, crazy dream she had. And in this particular dream, uh, she was like, yeah, I had a really weird one. It made me like uncomfortable. And I was like, really, what was that about? And she was like, yeah, I had a dream that you were, that I found you like having sex with another woman and you knew that I was watching you. Like you knew that I was there and you just didn't care about it. And, like there were some other like weird, like little specific things about the dream. She tells me this dream and I was like, yeah, that is a weird dream. Just go on about my day. 
it it did not register anything to me at all. And then I go back and I'm praying, God, what do I need to do? I you need to give me a sign or something. And it was like, you got to tell your wife. And I was like, you need if that's you, you need to give me a sign. And so it was about a week later, maybe less than a week, but very quickly after, she had another dream. And this one was different uh, because this time she was in a car or a van or something with another woman, another girl. And she was supposed to be like a prostitute that she knew that I had been seeing. And uh, so she's talking to this prostitute and then I find them like I see them in the van together and I open the door uh and pull this other girl out and I'm like you cannot talk to my wife you're never allowed to be around my wife and you can't talk to my family like just getting rid of her and she woke up in the morning and tells me this dream and as soon as I heard that dream I was it was like, again, not an audible voice, but about as close as you can get to an audible voice. It was, you ask for a sign. I was like, crap. <laughs> like, and the worst part about it is. You said that was a weird dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, I like we have to go to work and all this. It was a, a Friday morning and. Uh, you have a very vivid. Do you have a vivid memory like that with everything, or is it because of the actual situation? No, I have a I have a really strong memory, uh, very vivid in most things. Anything that seems like minutely interesting to me, I can remember for decades. Okay. Uh, and then things like, you know, where are my keys? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not remotely interesting. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> They should always be in the same place. And if they get moved, then, you know, it's the end of the world. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it, it was it was this, uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure it was a Friday. And our kids, my aunt was taking them for the weekend. They were going to go spend the night over at her house. We were going to have our first date night in about a month and a half. And I'd been planning it and all that. And so it was going to be this really special night. And that's how we start the day was basically God saying, you need to tell her now. I was like, oh, crap. Uh, so I went the whole day. Like I, I went to work and was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I was like super stressed about it and just, you know, wrestling back and forth all day long and I could not focus couldn't think and so I was like god just cut me a break I know I'm supposed to tell her but just let me get through tonight let us just have a good night because we haven't been able to have a date night in so long and I just want to have one last good night and it just wouldn't stop we went out to this restaurant uh, that she really loves and the whole time I'm just like felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest and then we went to a movie and I was like at least if we watch this movie like I can turn my brain off for a couple of hours and it was no nothing in the movie as far as I remember there was nothing in the movie that was sexual at all so I wasn't like thinking about porn but the entire movie I was like 
my heart was in my throat and I just could barely breathe. And so we get out of the movie and it was a World War II movie. My wife loves those. And so she was like, oh, you don't want to ask me about it after we get out. And I'm just like barely even responding to what she's saying. She's like, are you all right? And I was like, not really. <laughs> so we're on the way home. It's like a 10 minute drive to our house. And she was like, what is it? And I, again, it was like just this voice, like, you need to tell her right now or you're not going to do it. I was like, oh, gosh. So I was like, do you remember that dream that you had this morning when you woke up told me about it? She was like, yeah. I was like, you know, you said, like, you don't know where that's coming from. That's so weird. I think I might know what it's about. And so I talked to her and I just kind of laid everything out. And I, again, I just felt like God was saying, if you want to be free, you, that you can't have any guards here. You have to tell her everything, every question she asks, you answer, like you have to go full on with this. And so I basically just kind of, built up this mental wall around myself where it was like I just have to get through this and just so she kept asking me all these questions and she was crying and she was you know pretty broken about it and stuff and I'm just like robotically answering everything that she said and then she gets to a point and she was like so when was the last time it happened and I was like crap because I had been stressed out all day and frustrated and couldn't focus at work. And I was like, today before you got home. <laughs> and that just like wrecked her. She was like, you knew we were going out. You knew this was going to be our first night out in months. Like if it, if it had been a week, if it had been two weeks, like, I could have dealt with that, but no, like she left the room, she ran into our bathroom and was just like in the fetal position, just sobbing on the floor. And I, I went in to try to like comfort her, but I was like, I'm definitely not the person that she wants to see. And she was like, didn't even want me to touch her. So I went back out and just kind of sat in our bed and eventually she came back out and didn't say anything for a while. And I didn't say anything, and I don't know how long it was, but eventually she just kind of, like, breathes pretty heavy. She just lets it all out. She's like, I forgive you. And that was the, the last thing that I expected to hear. Uh, I had no idea what was going to happen, but she just said, I forgive you. And it was like, as soon as she said that, I broke. And I started just, like, crying and bawling my eyes out uh which uh I, I grew up in a very abusive home also uh, and had a really like jacked up childhood and so up until that point between the ages of about 13 and that day i had cried less than five times and 12 or 13 years she had only seen me cry on our wedding day and when uh when i went away to india for three months and then when 
we had to leave my oldest son in the hospital uh, when he was just born. He was in the NICU for a while. And that one was like a tear. <laughs> like, so she had never seen this happen to me before, but I was like bawling profusely. And I was just like, thank you. And that was when it lifted. And it was like, it almost felt like a physical break. Like, it's gone. And my mind was like clear. It, it, it was so weird. It was like, I had just been living with this weight on my back and living in the cloud. And then all of a sudden it just broke. And that was something that I had prayed for for years. Was like, I used to hate hearing these stories uh, when it, like a guy would come into church and say, oh, you know, I, I just wandered in here and I'm a drug dealer and I was high on cocaine and uh, just something told me to come in here and I just went straight to the altar and prayed and and from that point forward, I was free and never had to struggle again. And I was like, why can't that happen for me? It's like, I'm I'm over here like trying to live for God, like grew up in the church. I was leading other kids when I was like 15, 16 years old. When I was 17, it was me and one other guy that were basically helping run the youth ministry of, at that point, about uh, 70 to 80 kids. Uh, there were, and then it was like, I had been do, serving, like doing everything I could because I wanted, like, I, I just wanted to, God to know that I was, wanted to live for him, basically. And I was like, why is it that some random dude off the street who is like high out of his mind, he can get free first time he asks and never has to struggle with it again. And I'm over here trying to like do everything that I can and I, I get no help. <laughs> it's just like, it, I, that always used to frustrate me. And uh, so it's that funny. Moment, that's the conversation that I was having with, with John the other day where I was like, yeah. You hear those stories and it's so discouraging because you're like, well, that's convenient. What about us real people? Like, Yeah, yeah. And then I became a pastor and I started my own church. And, yeah. I got all the money in yeah. the world. It's really great. And look at my wife. She's smoking hot too. She's the hottest woman ever. If you become a pastor, you get that. It's just like, yeah. 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 It's uh, sleazy, man. But, yeah. But so yeah, it, was, it, it genuinely... So have you had moments of potential relapse or was it really just breaking so, at that moment? So what happened uh, was I had about six months where there was nothing at all, which at that point, again, like 12, 13 years of addiction to where I, I there were times where maybe I could go like two or three weeks and then I, and then I would bench. It was a bench yeah. cycle. Yeah, it was very hard. Uh, and yeah. so... I went six months with no relapse, not even a thought, not even a desire or an urge or anything. And so that was like miraculous. That was insane. Uh, but all the things that they warned me about in uh, Promise Keepers started to happen. Whereas like I was experiencing this new freedom and then uh, my wife went from I forgive you and I think we're good. I think we're good. And we went and talked to the pastors again. And at this point, I'm on staff at the church. And so we went and talked to the pastors. 
that next Sunday. Uh, it was like, hey, and I expected like you're gonna have to step down for a while, and you know we're gonna set some stuff up for you, help you out, whatever, support you, any of that kind of crap. And it was like, well, I'm really glad you told us. Thanks for letting us know. And uh, you know you're still a leader. Don't worry about that. And then they turned to Alora. Actually, the pastor's wife looks at Alora and was like. Uh, how are you doing? And she was like, I, I'm good. Like, I didn't expect that I would be okay, but I think I'm good. And she was like, uh, you're not good. You are uh, in a state of shock and denial right now, but it's going to hit sometime, probably sometime this next week, it's going to hit. And you, when that happens, you need to call me. <laughs> and she was like, okay. And so, yeah, it was like a few days went by. Things were really great. And then she went to the grocery store, just pick up a few things. And she saw, I don't like candy a whole lot, but there are a few candy bars that I really like. And she saw my favorite candy bar at the store. And she was like, I'm going to buy this for Jared. And she had this thought, like, as soon as she thought, I'm going to buy this for Jared, it was, he doesn't deserve this. And she just start like all of a sudden it was like she just was filled with anger and bitterness and she bought it <laughs> and she came home and just about threw it on the table in front of me. And I was like, thank you. There's something really bad happening right now. And that was the starting point. Uh, and it, it went extremely downhill from there to the point where for her, uh, she wanted to die. Uh, she she would say she got to a point of being suicidal. Uh, I. And this is even during those six months of you being clean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like she just plummeted, and so it was like I'm experiencing like this freedom for the first time in my uh, like knowing life, really. Uh, I I was like kind of on this really great high and the one person that I wanted to be able to now share all of this with uh like it got to a point where she didn't want to wear her wedding ring anymore uh she didn't want to go to church didn't want to let, and we were on leadership I was a staff member and she was on leadership and she like she got pregnant right away with our third son the one that was in here a minute ago. Uh, she got pregnant with him in the middle of all this. And uh, so on top of all that, hormones going crazy from pregnancy. And she, there were times where she told me she, she looking back, she's grateful that she was pregnant because she said she was never able to do anything to harm herself because she knew that she would be hurting our baby. And so she was like, sometimes that was the only thing that was keeping me from, from hurting myself. And so it was, uh, it, it just kept getting worse and worse. And I got to a point after like five months in where I was like, God, I would go back and undo this. If did you handle her? stressed gracefully like did you like understand was it were you understanding of the psychological aspect of it or what yeah, did okay. you like oh yeah get absolutely. bitter with her about her bitterness no um no i've always part of my part of my 
uh, addiction aspect of it, like the psychological aspect of it for me, uh, was very self-sabotage, uh, where uh, I never, I never trusted God enough to to really give me the things that I I wanted in my heart. Uh, so I kind of relied on it as a crutch. Was like if I always have this like secret sin thing that nobody else knows about, but God knows about that, then it makes sense why I'm not uh, getting promoted, why I'm I'm at church and they'll hire me on as an associate youth or a youth associate was my title, but they wouldn't let me be a pastor. So uh, would you say that you like for the sake of having that own control, like, well, at least I'm in control of that destiny or it wasn't, it wasn't a control thing. It was if, if I know that there's this secret thing and God knows, then at least there's a logical reason for me not to be able to move ahead. Because I, I believe uh, the Bible says that uh, all authority is God given. And so promotions at work and all this, like, like those are things that God sets up and brings us into, brings to us. And so it's like, I can always say, like, it was my fault. It was something that I did. It was, that's why I wasn't getting promoted. I wasn't being able to move forward. Uh, and, and that came from like, when I was born, my dad was gone before I was born. And so he left and was out of the picture my whole life. And I had a few abusive stepdads that were extremely like violently abusive. And so that I had this subconscious thing that I always held on to that I was never good enough that like if my own dad didn't want to be a part of my life then you know I must not really be worth a whole lot but then I I held this contrasting view of like my relationship with God and I was like I know God doesn't see me like that so I had this fear that if I removed that safety net like if there wasn't a sin issue that only god knows about and then i'm still not getting promoted i'm still where i'm at and i like basically i felt like i was god's stepchild and i was like if if i really just let this thing go and like there's no reason anymore then that would just confirm those negative things that i believed about myself those subconscious thoughts. And it's not something that I really worked out right. until like after yeah. the fact. I, I knew it's amazing was- how much we have like an underlying <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. But it's not articulated and it's definitely not streamlined where like yeah. even if someone were to tell you, hey, this is what you're doing, you'd be like, well, that sounds stupid. But yeah, like, exactly. you know, it's really <laughs> difficult to point that out and help people see that. But okay, yeah. so back to like you said you were bringing that up when it came to when I asked about your, how you handled it when she was going in a bad spot. Yeah. So that, so I kind of carried that same mentality with her was like, I caused this. I can't be upset with you. I can't have bitterness towards you because this is all my fault. And, and I, we've even had discussions recently where I, I was like, I am excellent at enduring pain. I am well practiced at enduring any amount of pain. I, can't 
I can't handle rejection because that's the that's the core brokenness in me is that rejection from my dad since before I was born carried through and replayed in all these other relationships. And so uh, carrying that towards her, it was like, I can carry all of this pain, like where it's, there was a point where we didn't have sex for two months. Uh, she didn't like, obviously didn't want anything to do with me for like two months. And that wasn't even immediately after that was about three months in to five months around that window of time where it was like no sex. And then it was once, and then it was like once six weeks later. So it was, there was this really long gap and it was at that point where I was like, God, if I could go back in time and not tell her and still be like struggling, I don't know what I would do. Like, I don't know if I would choose to take that addiction back on if it meant that she didn't have to deal with this because I can handle pain. She can't. She doesn't know how to deal with this. And so I, one day I asked her and I was like, would you have preferred me to not tell you so that you could have like continued to live in kind of blissful ignorance? Cause we had a really, we had an excellent marriage uh, up to that point. Like, We'd been together uh, since she was in junior high. And so, like, nobody does that. Nobody has a relationship the way that we've had this relationship. And it was kind of like this fairy tale in her mind. And that's what I destroyed. And that's what she lost. And so I asked her, I was like, would you go back? And would you rather have me not tell you and still be addicted? And she, kind of thought about it for a minute and she said I don't know maybe and that was like then if none of this was worth anything like <laughs> for me it was like then then why why do any of it like it's all pointless at that point uh and so that was where temptation started again uh, and, and I didn't want to go back to it. I was like, I had been free for six solid months and I was like, God, I, I don't want this anymore. And I, I felt like he kind of gave me that grace period, uh, where like, if I didn't have a stretch of time where I, I just didn't have to think about it, wasn't dealing with it at all. I don't think I could have gotten free and stayed free. Uh, but I had that grace period of about six months. And then after that, it was like, okay, you're going to have to fight these battles and you're going to have to learn to stand on these decisions that you're making. And, uh, and so there's been like highs and lows since then, as far as temptation goes, uh, there have been times where it's just like, no one would know. And it's not that big a deal. You're not going to get addicted again. You've got this under control. You don't have to worry about it. And I have to actively like disengage those thoughts and I have to occupy myself. I have to like basically get back to work. Uh, and I, and I worked since then to recognize what it was that like when I was most vulnerable to, uh, wanting to go look at porn, it wasn't, 
I, I was beyond the point of like sexual stimulus in a movie or something like that. That didn't do it for me. It was stress. It was being tired. It was being frustrated or hungry. Those were the times where it's like, I'm hungry and I'm frustrated, but there's nothing in the house that sounds good. I don't want to eat anything that we have. And I don't know why that, I think it's just like being physically drained and kind of just mentally exhausted made me more vulnerable in those moments. But that was a trend. It was like when I'm frustrated and tired, I tend to be, you know, pretty unable to resist. And so uh, being able to kind of recognize those patterns in the six months, being able to have that time to look back and recognize what my points of break were. Now I kind of had some tools that I was better equipped to withstand those temptations. And, and so I am, I am grateful that the, the addiction stuff, the porn stuff, it has not, uh, has not come back like that. Uh, I, I have been able to be free of the addiction and, and stay free of the addiction. And the, and I say the addiction because the temptation, uh, that factor comes and goes. Yeah. And, uh, but the addiction itself is something that is, hey, is broken. Have you ever found yourself reminiscing, wishing that you could go back to the good old days with it? Or, or um, do you feel like it's been long enough for you to see clearly that it <laughs> is more beneficial without? The, uh, the only times when that was a factor was when she was in that dark point. And that I, I got up to that six month period when it, I would say that's when it bottomed out. And then there were a few key decisions that I made that helped to kind of help her start moving out of it. Uh, where I actually had a couple of, it was crazy because one of the things that I was looking for for a long time was that promotion was to be able to be a, a full-time pastor and, and get, you know, job security and, and, you know, health benefits and all that crap. And it was right at that six month point that I got called by two different pastors at different churches and the head pastor at the church that I worked at. The two different churches were offering me a full-time youth pastor position, benefits and everything. The church that I was working at, uh, they couldn't offer me a full-time youth pastor position because we had a full-time youth pastor already, but he offered me uh, more hours and a raise in a different uh, department at the church. And I was like, man, it's like all the things that I've been waiting for and all the things that I, I hoped would come out of this was like, that was what was holding me back. And now it's not holding me back anymore. And so I was really excited to, you know, share that with my wife. And like, we're finally going to be able to not worry about money and not have all these stresses and pressures. And she wanted nothing to do with any of it. Uh, she, she was like, if, yeah, you can take a youth pastor job. Just know that I'm not going to have anything to do with your ministry. I was like, What? <laughs> there's that's not how this works. That like, no, like you yeah. Have to be. And, yeah, there's something uh, very uh, 
powerful about a woman's ability to cut off your balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so frustrating yeah. at that point. Cause it was like, this is all the things that I've been working towards. And you've said like, you want me to move in this direction and we've been pursuing this together and we finally have the opportunity and no. And I was like, God, is this a test? Is this like, you're calling me out here. I just need to have faith and you're going to, you're going to work on her. Is that, is that how this is going to work? And I just, I had no peace about it at all. And so the day that I, I had a month to decide and I was meeting with these pastors again and going to tell them what I had decided. And on the way I was driving my wife to work and I was like, if I turn all of these down, if I say no, and I just stay where I'm at and we just keep doing what we're doing, would that at all make you feel like I value you more than I value a job? Because uh, that's what she was wrestling with, was like I completely just devalued her and she was worthless and I didn't love her. And she was wrestling with those types of things. And I was like, would that, would that help? She said, I don't know, maybe. Because <laughs> she, was, she was done. But uh, I was like, that's the most positive response that I've had in the last like six months that's the the biggest so there's a chance yeah and so i i went to the meetings and i was like i'm sorry can't do it and i even told the pastors why i was like this is what was going on this is why i can't and they're like that's a really good choice you made the right choice and that started a slow process for her of being able to kind of come out of it, to start to be able to trust me again and not just trust me to make decisions for our family, but to trust me with her heart uh, that I wasn't going to uh, hurt her in that way again. And from that point on, it was about a year and a half uh, before I can say we got back to mostly normal. Uh, and then after the year and a half, it was probably another two years after that. Uh, well, we had our son Atlas that February after. So th that was April 25th. And then we had Atlas in February. And then it was two years from when we had Atlas that we had our daughter, Haukea. And she was a miracle baby. Um, my wife really wanted a daughter uh but she didn't want to keep trying like and she was heartbroken when she found out she thought that god was going to be gracious to her in the middle of everything that we were going through he had gotten her pregnant or i got her pregnant but allowed her to get pregnant uh, it wasn't like immaculate conception but he allowed her to get pregnant and uh she was finally going to have her daughter and then we had another boy and that just sunk her even lower I was like, even God's, you know, forsaken me here. And so she went and had an IUD put in after we had Atlas. And then within a year of having the IUD in, she got pregnant with our daughter. And it was like, 
she's yeah. not supposed to get pregnant uh like it's the most effective form of birth control available she's not supposed to get pregnant she gets pregnant and they were like well uh it could be ectopic you're probably going to lose the baby uh nope you're healthy so far so oh well it looks like there's you know a problem here there's something else oh well no that was just a cyst it removed itself they thought she had cancer and it was just a cyst that removed itself and it was no big deal uh and so it was like all of these things were and it was like the easiest pregnancy that she had and and then she had the baby girl and that was did you guys wait till the delivery day to find out no 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 That's what we want. We've decided that we're going to do when we have kids. And I know it'll yeah, be really no. hard not to get the test I, I results. I have no patience for that stuff. If my wife tells me that she got me a birthday present like a month ahead, then I'm bugging her every day for a month. Like, can I see? See, that's her fault for telling you that the stupid <laughs> thing that she that got anymore. you a birth. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't do it. She knows. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on the opposite end. I'll buy a birthday present and I have a really hard time holding on to the fact that like, it's just like, okay, I'll just give it to her now. Like, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was this really long process, but like I said, it was in the darkest point of that, uh, in that six months to a year, uh, after that was when I, I wrestled the most with like, would it have been better just to go back? Now I've turned down a bunch of jobs and uh, yeah. I'm still making crap money and I have no prospects. And the crazy thing is towards the end of that year, uh, we both felt like God was telling me to quit my job completely. The The part-time staff position that I had at the church anyways, uh, we felt like God was saying, hey, you're going to leave that and you're going to go start a full-time rock band. Well, I already was doing a band kind of on and off for since my first son was born. And he was like, you're going to do the band full-time now. And I was like, that's a really dumb idea. And that was about a year after. And my wife was one of the first people, like I talked to her and I was like, turn down all these jobs. I don't know. Like one of them was still like, was uh, open-ended on the table. Like if things change, give me a call. And so I was like, I don't know. I I feel like there's some transition coming. I don't know what it is. And it was my wife. And she was like, you know, you could be a pastor, you'd be good at it. But I figured if, if you ever do leave your position now for anything, that it should be to do music again. And that's what your heart is for. And that's what I feel like God made you to do. So you should do that. I was like, that's a terrible idea quit my job and start a rock band. That's stupid. But my wife told me to do it. <laughs> and then I went that's to pastor strange. and they were like, they're like, yeah, uh, that's really exciting. I was like, somebody talk, talk her out of this. Talk to us out of this. This is not a good idea. And everybody's like, do it. Uh, so I, yeah, at the end of that year is when I resigned from my position and started doing the band full time. And, but that was like, like I said, it was this transition point uh at six months and then about a year was when we were actually going back out on dates again and stuff and so we had that conversation out on a date so how was how was 
this is probably gonna sound weird, but like, how was sex in that aspect? Was did it did she, was it only out of obligation that it was allowed to continue, or was there ever moments where you felt like there was genuine intimacy um, during the dark no, those dark parts? Um, like, because I feel like because I could understand, and if that's if that's not something that you can share, that's fine. Because <laughs> um, I, I just I could imagine that that would be one of those moments that is just like well, let's just check this off the list because if I don't take care of you, then you're going to go back to porn or um, – because that's happened to me where it's just like I genuinely have felt like I'm just the checklist on my wife's box where it's just like, well, it's either that or you're going to be stupid and watch porn, so I might as well make sure. And it's just like, well, yeah, that's, that's romantic. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, I mean I'm not going to say no, but it's <laughs> – this is not the it's, way that I would prefer. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like there's just that. Even though it's part, it's true. Like yeah. it's just like, yeah, you are right. But when you when you say it like that, yeah. it doesn't feel like, as nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there was a, there was a definitely times for her where it was out of obligation, uh, but. We were. I was really insistent that if if she didn't want to, I was never going to pressure her towards it. Yeah. And in that two month period, the reason it went so long because I was like, I'm not even going to approach her. I'm right. not even going to like even like kiss her in in that way. Like I'm gonna unless she wants to kiss. I've got me, that. I've got that know? same aspect <laughs> as you when I've done something wrong. I pretty much am like, I will stay away for as long as possible and I'll let you make the first move. And I, I'm kind of in that same boat. It's like, I'll endure this because it is my fault. And I get, so yeah. I, I get that. That's, it's easier for me because I can't see it any other way than being like, like who the heck am I to try and approach this first? I don't know. Like I, I, I view myself so lowly in those situations where it's just like, I don't deserve to initiate this. And so I'm, which I think is, is helpful. Cause I think that it, it shows it's either, I don't know. It's either a defense mechanism because you get to pretend to be the beaten down puppy. But I think there's also just an element of humility because it's like, well, I, I did do this. So what the heck? So, yeah. And there's, there's a, a part of it that's you know just as a husband you're laying down your life for your wife laying down your own wants and even needs uh for her betterment and that there there were little things like that that would uh that would give her a glimpse of hope or it's like i'm I'm working, I'm taking care of her, I'm taking care of the home and the kids, and I'm not pressuring her for sex or approaching her for sex. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, maybe we can be friends again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can just start there. And and so it, there, it wasn't, there were points where she was doing it obligatory. And, and I said, I didn't want that, uh, because right. I, I don't want, I didn't want sex to become a bad thing. I didn't want it for it to carry this bitterness when like we would be together is like, uh, because if you st like, once that seed is planted, then it's, it kind of takes root in her mind and then right. sex becomes like, 
at first it was, I'm trying to do this to help you out. Now it's like, ugh, you know, it, it, it's, it steals the joy yeah. of the relationship. And so I was like, I never want to go down that road. Yeah. Uh, and so I gave her as much time as she needed. Um, there were certain aspects of it that, uh, I mean, right, right away, the crazy thing is immediately following it, it shot way up like that first week was like we were newlyweds <laughs> and then when it crashed it was like yeah cool. <laughs> that's crazy again. i hope you like the last five days but. yeah that's yeah that's that's a bummer and i i mean i can understand i part of that just like from the like it was very smart of that pastor to say no, just call me when it happens. Yeah. Um, so, but it just, I can understand why that would happen, you know, because there's just times where, uh, have, do you know who Dostoevsky is? Yes. Um, have you read any of his books? Uh, no, I, I've uh, been introduced to a lot of his uh, philosophy stuff. Okay. But on a base level, I've never actually read into him. I just started reading his books. Um they're amazing. Um, but the, in crime and punishment, there is, uh, actually no, in underground man, there's this character. It's kind of both characters in, in each of those books are very similar. They have similar undertones, but there's the, this guy who, um, he'll do this act of goodness out of impulse and it, mm-hmm. and it calls out that light in him and he does these great things. And then like 10 seconds after he walks away and he's just like, frick did I just do that for I don't have any money that was stupid that person doesn't deserve it and it's this very interesting aspect about us because there's these moments where we can conjure up the best parts of ourselves and then like moments later just come crashing down in in its in absolute opposite um and it's very hard to bear weight of things like that so I don't know have you seen marriage story on Netflix it looked, it looked like it was gonna be because I would never watch that by myself. Okay. <laughs> it looked like it was was potentially a, a minefield watching it with my wife, so I I skipped over that one. It's it's a traumatically terrible, amazing movie. Um, <laughs> it felt like I was watching my parents go through their divorce just oh to a T. Um, but it's just so beautifully written just because it just it hits the dots in all of the right places. And there's a scene in there where um, they're um, free. They, they agreed at the beginning that they weren't going to use lawyers and they were going to be civil about this. It's going to be a good marriage, a good divorce. You know, we're still going to be friends. And then someone's like, hey, you know, I've got I had this really great lawyer when I get divorced to the wife. And she's like, here, let me introduce you to her. And so then the wife falls for the spiel of the lawyer and it just kind of escalates from there. And there's a there's a scene where um, both like the lawyer's vicious, like she just she's she's bad um yeah. and uh so he gets his own attack dog lawyer and there's just this scene where they're just they're hammering out and it's the lawyer saying things that neither of them would ever say to each other but they're so broken and bitter that they just let it happen but you can see on their faces that they're ashamed of the fact that it's gone to this point so they have a conversation and they come together and they're like look let's talk and so it starts out civil but then things escalate 
and the the I can't remember who starts it, but then like you know. Scarlett Johansson's characters is like, every time you touched me, my skin crawled. And he's just like, every moment with you was like being torn, my heart being torn out of my chest. And I hated every second with you. And then she says something and he starts like shaking. The acting's incredible, but he starts shaking, being like, every day I wake up, I just wish that you'd just run into a street and get hit by a car and die. And then he just starts collapsing. It's just this overly escalated, terrible scene. But it's like, you can just see the, just like everything that's going on, like no matter what is being said, no matter what they do, like he punches the wall in anger. It's just like, it's all just pain. Yeah. Like that part of you is acting out. And so it's just like, well, well, of course you'd say that. None of those words are anything that you are even remotely. You're just flinging your arms, just trying as hard as you can. And um, so, yeah, like I've had moments where like, like I said, like when I have to admit my stupidity again, it's just like, yeah, like anything that she says not only is fair game because I've earned it, but it's just like I get it. Like, you know, this is a painful business we're in. Like it's it's a terrible thing that I have caused to you. And I'm I'm grateful that I have for whatever reason, I don't know if it's temperamental or I don't want to say it's humility, but I'm grateful that I could have the ability to see that this is my fault. Like, because like the last thing that I would need in that argument is to say, why are you acting like this? You're just acting like a stupid whatever. Like, (laughs) like, so I'm grateful for that, for that humility in that aspect of it. But it is not easy, man. Like, because like the reason I asked if you reminisced is like, I'm still, I'm, I'm about, I think I'm going on about close to three months right now. Um, and, um, I was with you about 10 years every single day. So, I mean, it was, it's hard. It was really difficult. So, um, I've been wrestling the further I get out of it. Like, man, those were the good old days, you know, like, you know, I've like the severe withdrawal symptoms that I've been dealing with in the last couple of weeks have been extremely difficult and strong, um, where like, I can't even go to bed without flashing, um, these images flashing through my mind. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a fun, it's not a fun thing. Like even just on a non spiritual level, I, I, what I've learned of what it does to your brain. Um, there's, there's evidence enough for that, for the fact that it's like, it will, yeah. you're, it's not good for you. Um, but then even without that, like I, there was a, there was a moment You know, my wife's been involved in this the whole time, but there was a time when she moved down to Atlanta um, before me because I had to finish my job and we had uh, an oh, and I had school that I had to finish. Um, So she went we she moved two months before me or a month before me. And um, I had figured out a way around Covenant Eyes with 100 percent access. And so in that month while I was alone, I um, I hit it and uh I had it every single day, um, multiple times a day, realistically. Um, and I remember in the middle of that, that I, it, it dawned on me the shallowness of the unlimited access that I used to have. Cause like when you're, when you're telling yourself, no, it's a fantasy. 
it's like, oh, man, but it's the best thing. I'm just not allowed to have the best thing because yeah. I've got to be a good little husband. And so look at me. I'm so humble. But then when you have unlimited access, the 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 curtains fall. It's all yeah. it's just it's it's a it's not as pleasurable. It, it, you're miserable. And no, not at all. Like, like the fact that I have to do it multiple times a day, like now, if I were to do it once i feel like it just make my morning until like obviously the second after it happens and then you immediately feel like crap but like that's the fantasy around it but when i had unlimited it's just like okay well i'm gonna do this now and then in three hours i'm gonna do it later because you know i can i guess yeah and so ever since that um i got caught um unfortunately we were watching wolf of wall street a very good movie that i would recommend you watch with your wife <laughs> I remember that. I remember. I remember loving that movie. I thought it was the. It's it's a hilarious movie. But I was like, I. It had been years. Um, but I was watching it with Nia Chen, and I we were just planning on fast forwarding the the nudity, but it was only nudity. That's all the movie was. <laughs> and so I, you know, we just fast forward, fast forward, fast forward over and over again. And she was just like, "Let's stop the movie." And I was just, "Have you seen the movie?" No. Okay. No, I, There's a scene in I, there. IMDb that one. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. There's a scene in there that I absolutely love. It's one of the funniest scenes I've in, in, in a movie that I've seen, and I was really looking forward to that. That was. It's the reason I wanted her to watch the movie, and yeah. we hadn't reached that scene yet, and so I was really upset when she was just like, "Let's stop." And it's just like, but and she's like, "Why are you okay with watching this?" I'm like, "I'm not okay with watching the nudity." we're fast forwarding it. She's like, yeah, but you're seeing it. I was like, no, no, we're fast forwarding it. And so then she was like, when was the last time you looked at porn? And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? We're watching Wolf of Wall Street. I literally, we were in New York. It was a surprise birthday present. She'd never been to New York. And it's just like, this is supposed to be a good trip here. Why are you at? What does porn have to do with this? So the underlying fact that I had watched it every day for a month without getting caught got caught eventually because my sensitivity like you like you kind of brought up yeah. about like oh it's just a lingerie costume it's just like well no like i was it didn't bother me and the fact that it didn't bother me upset her and so she asked the question um but since that moment i've tried to remember as hard as i can like okay gino you've had unlimited access even after giving up you've had it in the middle of this and you still found out that it was just a a jade i think that's the right word for it um it sounded right but whatever it's it's just it's fake you know it's it's just yeah. it's hollow and um and so I've tried to keep that in the back of my mind as, as much as I can because it's like as much as the fantasy flashes back now, I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's not that like it's. It, it, I feel like it's that same mechanism that the Israelites had to have experienced when they're like, we should go back to Israel. It's like you uh, you only or we should go back to Egypt, where it's just like yeah. you you only remember the good and you completely forget the slavery. I mean, it's the same yeah. thing, and it's opposite when you're arguing with your wife, and all you want, to, and all you can see is the bad, and you don't remember anything she's ever done for you. Like we've got this weird psyche that, like, it's like what you want is all you see. Yeah, it's crazy, but no, I yeah, I completely, uh, completely can relate with that stuff. With, uh, yeah, with the temptation of it it's it's the escape aspect of it it's the 
I imagine it's probably similar to somebody that's like smoking cigarettes where it's like, man, wouldn't it just relieve the stress? Like you you deserve a break. You need to just, (laughs) one cigarette's not going to hurt you. One video, one time, uh, and then never again. And then after that, like, but just to get you through right now, isn't that, isn't that okay? Those are the types of, uh, dealings that you make in your mind where you're like justifying it in the moment. And yeah, it's, it's a struggle to think beyond that moment in time to think past, like, what about right after? What about, yeah, like if I do have to literally right after. (laughs) Yeah. What about when I have to talk to my wife again about this? What about, you know, and now I'm a dad. Uh, and so that was a huge um, motivator for me because it's like, I didn't, I wasn't equipped to be able to handle these things. I was, uh, it was basically sex and sexuality and all of those things are just in this box that we are never going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I, didn't, I mean, my mom was a single mom, and she did not have a good history with that, uh, with relationships and any of those things. Uh, I have three brothers, and we all have different dads. And so she was trying to protect us out of fear uh, of, like, I don't yeah. want the things that I went through for you to experience. And so we're just going to build a bubble and act like it doesn't exist. But I'm going to send you to school. And we got opted out of like uh, human growth and development sex ed classes. We were opted out, which is ironic because now I guess speak and teach in the sex ed classes for like three or four different districts. (laughs) So uh, it was like we, we were completely kept out of those things. But it still came in. It still like yeah. got in under the radar. And so now That's, I'm um, at it. <laughs> Well, so um, there's an interesting thought uh, that I've heard about the idea of um, why was there a snake in the Garden of Eden? Um, and it's like the way that that guy said it was this like, it's because there's no place that you can make that's so safe that something can't come in. It's just like, it's just, it's, like it's just not possible. You can't create. It's like there's either going to be a snake that comes in, or something's going to turn into a snake that's there. And <laughs> it, you know, and, and I've I've found that completely true in our life. We were sheltered too. It's just like it doesn't it doesn't work. Like all it does is gives someone else the permission to teach you, because it, it's gonna find out. And so, like I don't know. We we're plan, we're trying to we're practicing trying to have kids um and hopefully hopefully (laughs) one one of them will stick but um i've been really thinking about like man like what what access am i going to give to my children but also like what conversation am i going to have but one thing that i i I know for sure is i'm going to take that kid to the dragon's lair before the dragon takes the kid like i have to do it like there's no freaking way that i'm going to be like oh he's only 12 there's no way he knows anything about that. Like, gosh, you're so naive. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and so I'm, I want to fix that. 
Um, and even it's one generation and I don't know if my kid's going to fix it for his kid. I can fix one generation. Like that's all. And that's the power that God has, is going to be able to endow on me. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that like, no, like you're not going to fight this alone. We're going to have these conversations. You're going to know what sex is. You're going to know what porn is. You're going to know how to avoid it. I'm going to tell you my flaws and how hard it was for me. Like that's the conversation that we're going to have because it doesn't work when it's silence. It just doesn't, it just leaves people in isolated blocks of shame. And then no one talks about it, but everyone knows. Kind of like in Hollywood, everyone knows something's going on. So there's something in the water, but no one's talking about it. And so yeah. we all play the game of shame and silence. And then turns out your pastor gets kicked out because he had an affair and was looking at porn for, for 10 years. And you're like, how did it reach this point? It's just like by doing nothing. Yeah. That's how it reaches that point. Yeah. So. No, I, I definitely, I definitely think it like I said, even with my kids, it's had to be a much more proactive thing. And you would think because it's my job to go and talk to other people's kids about it all day that, you know, I can, whatever, it's super easy. Uh, It's not, it doesn't make it easier to talk to my own kids. It's very Uh, uncanny. You're just like, Hey, yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. It's like, how do you bring it up? And then it not just come across like it's your dad giving you a lecture. Yeah. And like, I, I had to, you know, have conversations with my oldest son. And it's crazy because it's not even like there's a one way of doing it that's going to work for all my kids. It's uh, like my oldest son, he's fairly oblivious. And I have conversations with him, just like feeler conversations, uh, just to kind of see where his mind is at. Like I ask questions and let him kind of fill in the blanks uh to let me know what he knows because yeah. on the one hand i i want to be the one to to open him open those doors for him and explain yeah. from a healthy good perspective of like this isn't a bad thing this is a good thing uh but it, but it's very you have to be careful with it it's dangerous uh so you just have to be smart like i want to be able to have those conversations with him first before he hears it from other people but at the same time I don't want to like take the innocence of my child. My oldest son is only 10. Mm-hmm. So it's and and recognizing how encroaching all of these different outside influences are becoming with the media and with uh the internet and with his friends at school and stuff that they're exposed to. And I my wife is a kindergarten teacher and she's actually had a student in her class who uh, started like feeling up and trying to molest some of the girls in class because he was exposed to pornography by his cousin who was in junior high. This kid is five years old and he's already trying to act out the things yeah. that he's been looking at every single day with his cousin after school. And it's like, there are kids that's like, crazy. There's like, it's amazing. Cause there's the shame element of, okay, I'm looking at porn, but then like, you're going to bring a five-year-old in the room. How does that not make you feel like the most miserable? But then I don't know. Sometimes there's some pleasure in bringing people down with you. I don't know. It's a really twisted thing that we experience where it's just like, I don't know. Like it's like introducing a kid, a gun. Like you ever watch the wire? No, man, that's a show. (laughs) 
that's a show. It's a good, it's an HBO one, but man, that's, it's just shows the cycle of gang and drug violence. And you see these gangs, like there's a, there's a kid and he's 10 and they throw the gun in their hand and they're like, Hey, look, look, look here. This is how you do it. This is how you be a man. And there's just this, even in the acting, there's just this twisted sense of like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, if it's almost like, you know, you know what you're doing to that child and you're willingly taking him down with you for some reason. But it's, and it is a, a twisted sense of evil, but I think it's also kind of mixed with that guilt. Cause it's like, well, someone, someone else can fall with me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's so just, sorry, it's go ahead about that. Yeah. Um, well, I know you've got to get to a, a birthday party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but thank you for having this conversation. It was, it's very insightful. It's very good listening to, to what you've gone through and I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, any opportunity that I have to, uh, allow my experiences to benefit other people is, uh, it, it's what makes going through those difficulties worthwhile on in the long run is that it right. can help other people that are lost, but don't have, resources don't have help or are just kind of on that last leg so yeah it, it's awesome for you to be able to present this and to create a format for people to be able to access that type of information and get some hope so that's really thank cool. you appreciate it um well um i will keep in touch with you um I'd love to do this again sometime and uh, yeah. let's catch up sometime outside of the format too. But um, <laughs> cool. I do appreciate you and uh, thank you again. Thank you, man. <laughs>